so strange but appealing. Welcome to the Bump Shop Diaries. Join us, perhaps you may want to listen to a Bump Shop story. Spider awoke with a headache, blinking red eyes against the Texas sun that was pouring through the open blinds. His thoughts were muddled, and for a groggy minute or two, he could remember nothing of the night before. But a little at a time, it began coming back to him. He remembered being nasty drunk at Frenchie's party. Frenchie always threw fine parties with plenty of beer and plenty of women. But not even a night's boozing had elevated Spider's mood of the day before. And at the party, he'd almost thrown a punch at Big Al, which would have been a bad mistake. Since Al was 6'4 and 245 pounds of mean muscle. Some chick had talked Spider into leaving by promising him a couple of reds at her place, and he grinned when he recalled how he almost dropped his bike when he kicked it over. He was forced to admit he had been loaded. He stood up unsteadily and remained completely still with his eyes closed for a full minute while the pounding behind them subsided. Christ, he thought, I've got to get my shit together quick. Today's the day and this deal can't be fucked up because of me. He groped his way into the bathroom and splashed cold water on his face, staring numbly into the mirror. He regarded his lean, tough face without expression and absentmindedly fingered the jagged three-inch scar that began at the corner of his mouth and ended in a red pucker in the middle of his cheek. A memento picked up in a brawl long ago in an East Texas bar, courtesy of a kicker with a broken beer bottle. He put his clothes on quickly over his toddied muscle frame and pulled on his boots while fishing under his mattress for a baggie he knew was there. Pulling it out, he quickly did a mental estimate of the number of little white crosses remaining. About 50, he figured. He popped four of them into his mouth, swallowed them dry, and walked out the back door to the garage. Inside sat his only real possession, a silver-gray chopper whose chromed 53 panhead engine gleamed in the dim interior. It fired on the third kick, the staccato roar of the pipes clattering off the walls of the adjacent houses. He kicked the bike into gear and shot out into the street. He was headed for Fat Dave's and he hoped the first step in a scheme that would make enough money to set him up for a year. No work, no worry, no hassles, a year's free ride. He couldn't help grinning into the spring air as he felt the first small but exhilarating rushes from the speed he'd swallowed. Austin is situated in almost the exact center of Texas. In a country of rolling hills along the Colorado River, the nearest point on the Mexican border is Laredo, a little more than 200 miles due south, and just across the line is Nuevo Laredo, a classic Mexican border town specializing in women, booze, and dope. The Austin Laredo dope run is almost a central Texas tradition and more drugs pass through Austin in any given month than through almost any other city between the east and west coast. 
but the heat had become really fierce lately and Spider knew that two of his friends had been popped within the last three months trying to bring grass across the border. Of course, heavy heat made supplies scarce and the prices were now higher than he could remember there being during any other time of his six year residence in Austin. It was time for a killing all right. The prices in cities like Washington and New York would be astronomical dealers in those places would pay plenty for good Mexican weed. The right people with the right plan could clean up. Dave had had the plan for some time, but had refused to discuss the details until the day of the score, knowing that too much advanced talk would invite disaster. Spider knew little more than that Charlie was to buy the marijuana and drive it back. Dave and a few selected buddies were supposed to assist the deal, but Spider didn't know how. He was on his way to find out. Fat Dave lived a few miles out of town on what had once been a small farm. Spider could see by the bikes parked in front of the house that most of the people involved in the plan were already there. He left his chopper alongside the others, ticking to itself as it began to cool off in the shade of the porch. He entered without knocking. Immediately, the sweet smell of burning marijuana filled his nostrils and Skunk thrust a joint into his hand. Hey, Hoss. Skunk grinned. I didn't know whether you'd make it or not after I caught your act last night. Spider grinned back, his lungs holding on as long as possible to the first toke of the day while he surveyed Skunk up close. Skunk was short and stocky and always dressed in the same greasy jeans and grimy khaki shirt, a fact which contributed to a personal aroma that was the origin of his name, although no one really cared. Spider quickly glanced around. Big L, Fat Dave, Skunk. Everyone was here but Charlie. So where's Charlie? He asked of no one in particular. Inside Mexico by now replied Fat Dave, who had been sitting down talking to Al, but who now rose and called for everybody to shut the fuck up. All right, this is it. I'll go over the plan in a hurry and we'll get started. This thing has to be timed right or we're all fucked. Dave glanced at each one of them in turn as he spoke. Everybody has something to do, and if one guy screws up, he screws up everything. So pay attention. We're heading for Mierda, a little town about 15 miles from Nuevo Laredo. The score has already been set up. 2,000 pounds waiting for us tonight, and we unload the whole batch tomorrow at a private airfield in Fort Worth for cash. Spider did some rapid mental arithmetic. From Charlie, he'd already learned that they were getting the dope for $25 a pound. Charlie had a regular connection deep in the Mexican interior who apparently would bring the stuff close to the border, but not too close. Charlie had been dealing for some time, but this was the biggest score he'd ever attempted. The buyer from New York had agreed to pay $65 a pound, so that meant a net profit of $80,000. 10000 for each of the five bikers and a triple share for the respectable Austin businessman who was bankrolling the whole operation. 
Spider fought down the temptation to daydream about the ten grand cash and forced his attention back to Fat Dave, who was still talking. So Charlie will have the weed in the truck and ready to go at nine o'clock tonight. There's a low water crossing over the Rio Grande that he can drive the truck across. But it's only a couple of hundred yards from the town's police station and the cops keep an eye on it. So how do we bring it off? Ask Skunk finishing off a Lone Star while peering out the window to check on his bike. Even in the country, Skunk was edgy and force of habit made him look outside periodically. That's where the rest of us come in, said Dave. We blow into town towards dusk, and as far as anyone knows, we're just a bunch of Texas scum out on a border town run, looking for booze and pussy. Skunk stood up and he walked to the screen door. He chucked his beer can in the front yard and turned to face Dave. Wait a minute. We'll attract attention from every fucking clown there, and especially the law. Dave smiled. That's the idea. We hang around for a couple of hours drinking beer and running whores until the cops have nothing but us on their minds. Around nine tonight, we'll stage a punch out for their benefit, break a few glasses, scatter the tables, you know. Big Al had listened in silence, but now he rose, towering over Fat Dave as he stretched his huge frame and yawned. Fuck this shit, man. You must be too stoned to know what you're saying. We'll wind up in some goddamn border jail with nothing to show for it. Forget it. Take it easy, Al. Dave said reassuringly. You don't know Mexican cops. While we're haggling over the price of the damages and how much of a bribe they want to let us go, Charlie drives the truck across. We pay up, head back for Nuevo Laredo, and cross there perfectly legal. Charlie cuts across the scrub country till he hits the road to Zapata. We'll meet him there and provide protection for the truck along the state highway to San Antonio. Then we pick up the interstate to Fort Worth. We keep our distance from the truck, but we also keep it in sight, and that's it. Any questions? Silence greeted Dave's final remarks. Spider had the naggingly sensation that the plan looked okay on paper, but that there were too many possibilities for fuck-ups and... Anyhow, this bunch wasn't exactly a hand-picked crack team, but he had downed some more white crosses and the speed was really torquing his nerves. His misgivings were drowned in the teeth-grinding sense of power and confidence that raced through his body. It was almost two o'clock. Four hours to Laredo meant they could devote from 6 p.m. to 9 getting the cops of the little town of Marita uptight. A fight at 9 and Charlie would have the weed across the river and on the way to Zapata. If all went well, they'd be at the airstrip in Fort Worth just about dawn. Perfect. The central Texas sun beat down hard on the men and machines as they cruised south on Interstate 35. Spider had dropped four more crosses before they left and he was electric with energy. It was hard to keep the bike at anything close to the speed limit. The rhythmic bark of the big hog and the wide straight highway merged together in a total experience of exhilaration. Be cool. Spider told himself. This is no time to hassle with a cop, even if it's just for speeding. He twisted back on the throttle abruptly, and the Harley slowed at once. 
Wobbling under the sudden force of deceleration, Spider set about calming down methodically. He relaxed his clenched jaws, put his feet up on the highway pegs, and held the bike at a steady 55, dropping back to within a few yards of his companions, who he greatly outdistanced during his amphetamine rush. The Laredo-Nuevo-Laredo border crossing is the busiest in the Western Hemisphere, but the bridge is a narrow two-lane antique onto which is funneled the downtown congestion of both cities in a mad crush of machinery and foot traffic. The bikers drew stares from the air-conditioned LTDs with northern and midwestern license plates. Spider knew the type. Balding salesmen and accountants on their way to be fleeced in lavish tourist traps in Mexico. They would head for a hotel full of other Americans, all of them dressed like redneck pimps and burgundy double knits with white belts and white patent leather shoes with brass buckles. They would buy some mass-produced, authentic curios, get drunk each night, and return to their hotel rooms for a booze-dim screw from their pants-suited beehive hairdude wives. Spider caught one of these jerk-offs gapping at him through the window of his station wagon. Spider grinned and began to pick his nose while the traffic inched along towards the Mexican border. He flicked a booger at the asshole's window where it stuck just under his astonished stare. From then on, Mr. Businessman stonily contemplated the trunk of the car ahead. Once into Mexico, everyone fell in behind Fat Dave, who knew the 15-mile route to the little town southeast of Nuevo Laredo. The road was a little more than a cow path, and it was difficult to maneuver the big street bikes through the ruts and around the holes. At one point, the biker's progress was halted by a dead goat in the middle of the road. It was stiff and beginning to smell. Finally, they came to the edge of town, and a short way down the dust-filled main street, they stopped the bikes in front of a crumbling adobe building whose faded exterior bore the words, El Gato Bar. The inside was surprisingly crowded and noisy until the four bikers entered, and all conversation ceased as if on cue while the crowd of bums and whores examined the gringos. Cerveza para todos, Big Al said to the bartender, indicating his companions with a wave of his huge hand. Sitting down at the only free table, they began to drink, trying to act nonchalant but still feeling the uncomfortable and warily eyeing their audience. Little by little, conversation in the cantina resumed, and the bikers breathed easier. Dave addressed the group at the table keeping his voice as low as possible under the circumstances, though the blaring jukebox forced him to speak louder than he wished. Remember one thing. We're here to draw the attention of the cops, but not actually get ourselves arrested. And we have to keep up our act till the time we know Charlie's crossed the river. Drink some beer, screw a whore, whatever. But keep your cool. Don't get sloppy drunk, and for Christ's sakes, don't say a word about what we're really here for, even to each other. Three hours later, and they had established themselves convincingly in the bar as a raucous but friendly bunch of crazy gringos. 
They were tolerated as an amusing novelty, and the bikers had set the whole place up for beer twice. Al went off with one of three whores working the joint and returned shortly, convinced that he'd been given a blockbuster dose of the clap. The jukebox was turned up to an ear-splitting volume that seemed to fill the very cracks in the walls. The gringo's table was littered with empty beer bottles. Spider ate hot sauce on pork skins as he watched skunks stumble around on the floor with a middle-aged whore in a parody of dancing. The strange couple shuffled aimlessly in a sweaty embrace to the tear-jerking lyrics of a Mexican love song. Spider looked at his watch and then at Dave, who gave the signal. That it. It was time to get to work. The fuck you mean by that, you lousy cocksucker? Spider yelled as he slammed Dave in the mouth with a teeth-rattling punch. They agreed to make the fight look good, and Spider had lashed out in a beer and amphetamine mock fury. Dave was unprepared for the force of the blow, and he spun backwards into the adjacent table in an explosion of tamales, beer, glass, and Mexican profanity. He attempted to rise, his mouth already a swollen pulp of blood and saliva. The group of Mexicans at the overturned table picked themselves up off the floor, cursing in both Spanish and English. They would have Dave's ass then and there if he and Spider hadn't already crashed to the floor in a mass of flailing arms and legs. The two remaining bikers made apologies while simultaneously offering token efforts to pull the fighters apart. Within a couple of minutes, the town's entire three-man police force was in the bar and had the gringos at bay in the center of the circle made by the angry crowd. The cops spread out to cover any escape route. The chefy was a squat man with an enormous beer belly that hung over the top of his khaki pants and completely obscured his belt. Large semicircles of sweat stained the cloth beneath his arms. One of the deputies was a scrawny, aged peasant in battered sandals and pants that were much too short. He would have been laughable, but the 12-gauge pump he leveled at the bikers made him a serious person indeed. The other deputy was a kid, about 18, who wore sunglasses despite the time of night and the bar's dim interior. He carried an AR-15 automatic rifle and wore a belt sporting five extra clips. Mexican cops are inordinately proud of their guns. The town may be dirt poor and have almost no crime, but the cops still carry first-rate hardware. The chef held a chrome-plated 45 on the gringos and squinted at the group through half-crossed eyes. You gobacho sons of bitches, he said in a wheezing voice. What the hell are you up to? By prearrangement, Spider was to be the spokesman. Easy, amigo. 
Spider says smoothingly through what he hoped was his friendliest smile. He took his eyes off the dark hole in the gleaming barrel of the 45 long enough to glance at the chef's face. The chef wasn't smiling. The chef slowly walked to within a foot of Spider and very gently, almost teasingly, worked the gun barrel inside Spider's shirt between the two buttons. Spider felt the cold metal touch his skin just above his belt buckle. The chef's voice was a quiet snarl. Maybe you silly fuckers like to come talk to me in my jail. Maybe there we watch you do a few tricks for me, like eat a handful of cockroaches, or maybe lick out the toilet, huh? Spider's reply was barely audible. He didn't want to dicker over the bribe with anyone but the chef alone. Otherwise, everybody in the place would want in on the hustle. Officer, my friends and I are real, real sorry about what happened here. It was just a little misunderstanding and we all had a little too much beer. The other bikers tried to look sorry while Spider continued. We'd be very grateful if you'd allow us to pay the owner for the damages and we'd also just love to buy everybody in the joint a drink. His voice now sank to a bare whisper. And for you and your men, let's say $50 for the inconvenience. The chef still wasn't smiling. Let's say a hundred for me, my gringo. And for my men, let's say... The chef stopped abruptly in mid-sentence and cocked his ear towards the door. A puzzled expression began to replace his sneer. The katina was hushed. No voices, no music. Spider waited for a long, confused moment. He stared in wonder at the chef's tilted head and slack mouth. Then it hit him, and he felt his guts contract in panic. Dimly but distinctly, he could hear the unmistakable sound of a straining truck engine and wheels as they spun in mud. Motherfucker. He said to himself. Charlie's stuck. Tiny beads of cold sweat appeared on his forehead and collected before running down the bridge of his nose. Time ground to a stop. The bikers looked at each other while the moment seemed to stretch to the breaking point. For one brief instant, the puzzled cops were all preoccupied, absorbed in quiet, intense concentration, straining to identify the faint sound. The gringos attacked. Spider slapped the chef's gun hand aside and rammed his knee straight up into the cop's nuts with all his might. The chef bellowed like a freshly castrated steer as the force of the kick drove him backwards into his own deputy. The chef crashed to the floor. The ragged old deputy with the shotgun was knocked from his listening trance and fired in a totally reflex action. The load caught his buddy, Senor Sunglasses, in the belly, lifting him off the floor and slamming him into the bar. Before the kid's unbelieving killer could move the slide on the 12-gauge for another shot, Big Al's enormous fist slammed him into unconsciousness. 
At the same instant, Skunk lashed out with his steel-toed boot and buried it in the chef's flabby gut. He curled up like a fetus and thrashed about the floor, convulsingly gasping for breath. Spider leaped towards the bar where the body of the sunglasses kid lay motionless in the center of a spreading pool. Spider grabbed the AR-15 and whirled on the crowd. Cuidado. He shouted. Nobody move. Motioning the other bikers to open a path to the door, he held the crowd perfectly still with the rifle resting across one knee as he knelt and removed the five extra clips from the dead man's belt. He backed in the direction of his retreating friends, never taking his eyes or the rifle off the stunned patrons of El Gato. You three run and help Charlie. He yelled over his shoulder. Once he had made it out the door. He stood in the darkened street and faced the Katina. I'll hold the bunch off while you get the truck moving, but for Christ's sakes, hurry. If we don't get the fuck out of here, we're dead. The truck was about a hundred yards away now, and Spider could see Charlie, his blonde beard distinct in the moonlight, stooped over one rear wheel. He was shoveling branches under the tire. At that same moment, Charlie spotted the trio running towards him, shouting at them to push. He leaped back into the driver's seat. Spider slowingly walked backwards, keeping the AR-15 trained on the door of the Katina. Occasionally, he would dart a quick look over his shoulder. The truck was a panel van, not especially big, but the ton of marijuana made it too heavy for the Rio Grande mud. Spider had made it halfway to the truck when he heard the blast of a 45 from the Katina and saw the dirt scatter less than six feet in front of him. He jerked the AR-15 to his shoulder and emptied the clip at the Katina's swinging doors. Wood shrieked and snapped as the high-velocity slugs reduced the doors to shredded sticks. Only the hinges and a few jaggered splinters remained when Spider threw down the empty clip and rammed in a fresh one. Moonlight poured into the bar through the shattered doorway and he could see the white shirts of terrified customers as they flattened themselves against the floor. Spider whirled and ran straight for the truck. He arrived just as the second slug from the bar ripped a hole in the van's roof. Jesus fucking Christ. He exploded. Why does that asshole want to be a hero so bad? He emptied another clip into the Katina, and then a third. Looking behind him, he saw Big Al straining against the rear of the truck. The van lurched forward a bit, and sinews on Al's neck stuck out like taunt guy ropes. The veins in his arms seemed ready to burst as he heaved against the truck. Suddenly, the tire found traction and the van abruptly shot forward up onto the dry bank. Spider sprayed the bar with the remaining two clips just for the hell of it and tossed the rifle into the shallow water. Its hot barrel hissed as Spider ran towards his waiting companions. Charlie threw the truck into gear and they all lurched across the scrubby desert, headed for the road to Zapata and safety. Inside the truck, the bikers were at first too wired to speak. Spider felt the arteries in his neck beat and pounding rhythm with his heart. 
The plane had been fucked up bad. Real bad. But they'd made it across with the weed and they were safe and... The bikes... They had left the bikes at the cantina and there was no chance of going back. Not with that hero toting a 45 back there. And that dead cop made any future return impossible. Spider was numb trying to get his mind around the realization that he'd lost his chopper. For good. Skunk interrupted the general cursing and groaning. Listen, man. Them bikes ain't gonna do us no good anyhow if that goddamn jefe notifies the U.S. feds. He may be on the phone right now and the fucking border patrol may be on our ass by the time we find the highway. Dave shook his head. Nah, man, that ain't gonna happen. Bikes cost a fortune in Mexico. And even then you never see anything bigger than a Honda 350. There's plenty of high-rolling Mexicans who'll pay through the nose to own a big hog. That fucking cop can retire on what he'll make. And he ain't gonna take a chance on queering the deal by talking to a bunch of slick, wise-ass gringo feds. Them bikes are his, man. A half hour later, Charlie had found the road to Zapata and the tires now hummed along the pavement as the bikers rolled towards their Fort Worth payoff. Spider slumped against the wall of the van. The interior was thick and acrid with the raw smell of a ton of marijuana stacked in burlap bags on the floor. The air in the truck was dusty with floating particles of weed and Spider tried to keep from sneezing. The speed was wearing off fast now, and he felt sucked dry, gritty and wasted, and with a bad head. He was exhausted physically, but still remained mentally alert. He found the simultaneous impressions unpleasant. He was half sick from exhaustion and excitement, the depressing mixture of alcohol and adrenaline. At last, the steady whine of the tires against the cement brought a trance-like drowse to the occupants of the truck. Spider dimly thought of the 4000 he had invested in his chopper to say nothing of the sweat and busted knuckles it had cost him. But he remembered 10000 was waiting for him in Fort Worth. And another bike? That left six grand. Well, he told himself, I bought myself a half year of freedom anyhow. And that's more than most poor fuckers ever get hold of. And I've got a hell of a story to tell. He slept and dreamed as the van rolled through the warm Texas night. Join us, perhaps you may want to listen to a bump shop story. New and vintage merch available at BumpShopBackRoom.com. BumpShopBackRoom.com. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bump Shop Diaries. I appreciate you. And as you may now be figuring out, the intro is now the outro. That way I don't got to put in the description, the story starts at seven minutes or whatever. It just starts as soon as you click on the episode. Um, that way you don't got to fast forward through whatever updates I may be giving you and you can ignore it completely and just listen to the story. And then when it's done, you can turn it off. If you don't want to hear what I have to talk about, I personally hate fast forwarding through intro ads, mid roll ads. Sometimes it's like a mid roll ad will come up and I just, I'm done with the podcast. It's like, I I don't even want to fast forward through it. I'll just go to something else. So 
Anyway, that story was called Ripe for a Killing by Foy Campbell, and it came out in 1976. And what a fucking story that was, man. That was wild. Wild. Is this based on a true story? Maybe. Probably. I mean, aren't all stories based on some amount of truth? Probably. But, uh... Anyway, so the dust-up just happened, and if you don't know what the dust-up is, that is an event for mini-bikes, pit bikes, uh, really any any kind of two-wheel. There was two four-wheelers there, but, you know, more of a mini-bike, pit-bike jam. Um, although you're not going to be turned away, but just camping in the middle of nowhere, riding bikes with a bunch of fools who like to ride bikes, I mean... There was speed, there was crashes, there was thrills, chills, puddles, mud, uh, not the band, but, uh, dude, just a great fucking time. Plenty of dust. Um, man, we had a fucking blast. Christy was ripping on the Rattalac, the Cadillac Baja, out there just fucking getting it. She ended up actually breaking down the keyway for the jack shaft gear sheared off eventually and i ended up popping the pin out of a master link i had with me and shoving that in there and she made it back to camp so it was like cool macgyver moment uh couldn't have done it without john who was with me he was like man why don't you just try one of them pins i'm like dude i got a chain breaker i got the master links let's do this yeah great idea uh if you want to see some video, I got video. I don't know if it'll be out by the time you're hearing this. I'm fucking lazy, but uh, Adventures with Hayes. Check him out on Instagram and YouTube. He's got a long YouTube video up, um, so you can check out some video, Adventures with Hayes. I'll put a link in the description, and I need to mention a special thank you to Beef for putting it on if you don't know who beef you know who beef is if you're listening to me you probably know who beef is if you don't just look in the description i'll put a link to the dust up and uh to beef's instagram and you can check it out so you don't miss it next year this was the second annual you're not gonna want to miss the third annual that's that dale earnhardt annual you know so it'll probably be even better um man and I think probably next year we should call it the dust up and the breakdown. Plenty of breakdowns. Check your shit out before you come up there. Even if you do, shit happens. I mean, there was bikes getting air that are not meant to be in the air, breaking foot pegs, um, just trashing shit. Luckily, everybody kind of had enough parts that most everybody's bikes got fixed. Um, we headed out on one ride. And we get through this gnarly, muddy hill section. It's like real technical. Dude's like, man, my tire popped right as I came into that. So we head back. We throw a new wheel on his bike. We get back past that area because I'm going to like, I'm leading everybody to go check out these real tight, like 24-inch side of the hill fucking gnarly trails. And uh and we get up in there, dude breaks a foot peg, another guy breaks a master link, or breaks his chain, and I had 420 master links, Hayes had a 420 master link, his chain must have been a 40. So the dude who broke his foot peg towed that guy out of the trail back to the road who was on a pit bike with a single strand of paracord. It was fucking gnarly. Um, they get back to the road, 
It's like, all right, you guys run down the road. We'll head back to camp a different way because I'm going to take these fools down this other trail, which sort of is on the way back towards camp. And uh, we'll grab a truck and we'll come get you. And on the way to doing that, we get back deep in this trail and dude runs out of gas on his mini bike. And yeah, it's like it's his fault, but it's kind of not his fault at the same time because we're all ready to leave and he couldn't get his bike started. And somebody was like, just take this bike. And he was like, all right. And he jumped on it and he didn't want us waiting any longer than we already were. So he didn't check for gas. So at this point, it's like getting pretty dusky like the trees or the sun is below the tree line i don't have a headlight i'm riding the xr 100 hayes is on a baja with no uh no headlight we're like we'll run back to camp we'll grab some gas cans and we'll come back and and get you guys some gas so we ride back to camp hayes jumps on one of cody's bikes that has a light i grab the little battery powered work light from uh walmart bungee cord that to the number plate and we take off. We get about a mile from where they're at. And I look, and it's dark at this point. And since we're on the road, I still don't have the headlight on because I don't know how char- I didn't charge it, you know what I mean, for the weekend. I just had it with me. So I'm like, I don't know how much juice is in this. And on the road, there was enough moonlight I could at least see where I'm going. And uh, I look, and fucking, there's no headlight behind me anymore. And then I look, and way in the distance, I see it flash, and I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. He must have fell down or something. Turn around, ride back to Hayes, and uh, the fucking belt just melted on the torque converter. Luckily, he had a phone. When I ride, I don't ever bring a phone because I'm always wearing fucking riding pants. And uh, he had a phone. He's like, I'll try to get a hold of them dudes. So we strapped the gas cans. Well, like the gas bottles, you know what I mean? Like you'd carry on your chopper. We had two of those. I strapped those to the handlebars of the dirt bike. I fucking zoom off to go find the dudes we left in the middle of the trail. I roll up. You know, they hear the bike, so they turn their headlights on, start flashing them. Because, I mean, if they didn't turn their lights on, you would just... It's dark enough, you would just fucking run in to people sitting on the side of the road if they didn't have some type of light. I'm like, boom, the unlikely hero has showed up. Because when we left, I was like, I don't have a light, I won't be back, you know. But I don't want to make Hayes go alone. Really, nobody should ride alone for that reason exactly. Like, service is spotty, and even though that bike shouldn't have broke down, it did break down. So we get them gas, meet back with Hayes. He's like, I got a hold of Cody. Uh, He's coming with a truck. We're like, all right, well, we'll just wait here with you, make sure everything goes good, and then we'll ride back. And we see the light way down the road, and we're like, that doesn't look like a truck. And uh, Cody and John show up on bikes, and he's like, I brought an extra belt. And we're like, okay, that'll that'll work too. Put the belt on. We get ripping down the road. I'm just riding in the front and using the lights of the couple guys. There was like Cody's light on his one bike he was riding, was going in and out, short somewhere, whatever. And I think everybody, oh, the one dude's light died. So there was like six of us, three people had lights, so like us without lights were just kind of riding in front using their lights behind us, you know? And I'm riding, and it just gets so dark, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I look back, and everybody stopped. And I'm like, oh, great, dude. That brand new Chinese rubber belt fucking shredded in about a mile and a half. So now we're on the phone again trying to get a hold of someone, and uh, they come with a truck. 
we end up riding back. Uh, we had to, we instead of taking trails, we took like the fire roads to the paved highway to run back to the other fire road because that was going to be honestly like the safest way to do it. Just because at that point it was fucking dark, lights were burning out, people's uh, people's people's bikes were were iffy at best. But uh, yeah, we get on the highway. And Cody's light cuts out. Me and him are running about 45, 50 miles an hour. So we kind of left the other, the other dudes on their bikes who weren't quite as quick. And uh, his light cuts out, so I cut my battery-powered one on, and that leads us all the way back to camp. You know, it lasted the few minutes it took us to get back or whatever. Uh, but it was just a fucking great time. Like, breakdowns are going to happen, shit's going to happen, and it's still fucking fun. Nobody got seriously hurt, so that was good. Um, you know, Saturday morning, a few of us, uh, went for a rip woods ride and, uh, you know, some challenging mud with logs that are down and shit, like real technical shit. I like that. I mean, it's fun to rip fast berms and whoops and all that stuff, but it's like fun to be real technical and try to like, you know, maintain balance and not put your feet down shit like that. So again, shout out to beef for putting it on. I'm already stoked for the third one. Uh... You know, I guess I guess that's pretty much it. I'm working on a new design. I'm working on a new design to drop. Um, you know, deer season's about to come up. It's got a little something to do with that. It's got a little something to do with some other things. Uh, hopefully people enjoy it. Check out the website, bumpshopbackroom.com. Just dropped a few new vintage items. I got some more I'll be uploading in the next couple weeks as well. Um, some dope chevy truck uh bomber jacket and uh some some t-shirts and whatnot some accessories some vintage shit that you know stuff that i find cool and maybe you will too also you know check out the website bumpshopbackroom.com you never know when updates are going to be happening and uh if you like memes and you want to stay up to date on everything bump shop diaries on instagram All right, you guys have a good one, and until the next episode, enjoy. New and vintage merch available at bumpshopbackroom.com. Bumpshopbackroom.com.